This is Michael Cowan, and welcome to Trial Lawyer Nation. You need to show people the worst possible harm that that negligence could have caused, because that's what the case is about. I'm asking you to do is to focus on what you can control, because that's where the power lies. The Dalai Lama uh, has a saying that in the face of anger, justice evaporates. If you can't focus group it, you have to be very, very critical of your process. The facts aren't good. You can't create a miracle. We can agree to disagree and be zealous advocates for our clients. Quit worrying about looking perfect. You're not going to. That'll come in time. But you can still be an effective litigator. Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Trial Lawyer Nation. Your source to win bigger verdicts, get more cases, and manage your law firm. And now, here's your host, noteworthy author, sought-after speaker, and renowned trial lawyer, Michael Cowan. Today on Trial Lawyer Nation, we have attorney Matthew Pearson. Matthew is a lawyer from San Antonio, and he recently did the first uh, ever Zoom jury trial, and uh, he's agreed to come and share some of his experiences. How are you doing, Matthew? I'm doing good. Nice to see you, Michael. Nice to see you, too. So tell me a little bit about yourself and your practice before we go into, you know, this experience you had. Okay. Well, I've been licensed just about 27 years. I've got a law firm in San Antonio. Uh, We specialize in first-party insurance cases and construction defect, all from the property owner side. So it's, it's contingency fee basis. And because we specialize our practice while we're based in San Antonio, our practices throughout the state, and we're actually doing work now in Colorado, uh, New Mexico, Arizona, and Oklahoma. So what kind of cases do you really see that, you know, that typically come up in that practice area? Um, A lot like the case that was presented, uh, we did for the Zoom trial, Uh, commercial property owners that may have built a building and it's having design or construction defects, or in that particular case for the Zoom, it was a commercial building that was um, hit by a pretty big hailstorm in Collin County and the insurance company didn't want to pay for all the damage. And so uh, the lawsuit deals with the underpayment of the claim. That's good. It's, uh, it's nice to have people that are in different areas than, you know, a lot of us who do like the things with wheels and injuries and stuff. Uh, it's always good to know what the other things out there are. Yeah. Different type of practice, but uh, the same in the sense that I still handle these cases on contingency. So I'm dealing with the, um, the same issues that a lot of the brothers and sisters on the plaintiff bar deal with. And uh, so how did you end up getting involved in a Zoom jury trial? Well, this case is pending up in Collin County, and as part of Collin County's ADR process, they've been doing uh, summary jury trials for a number of years. As part of their ADR process, um, you get uh, assigned a mediator. In our particular case, we were assigned a retired judge, Judge Keith Dean, and the process is that you show up in Collin County uh, when they're calling in jurors for regular jury service, and you pick juries, and uh, you then present your case to that jury in a summary fashion. Uh, Generally, you have about an hour and a half per side. You present it to two juries of six person, six people juries, and then they give you a verdict. And then the best part is you have the opportunity to interview them to find out what was uh, impactful, what wasn't, what worked, what wasn't, who was credible, who was not. And then the idea is you go right into mediation the next day and you hopefully use the feedback from those summary jury trials 
to help resolve your case. So what happened in this particular case, we were set to do a summary jury trial in Collin County in July, but with the pandemic and the shutdown of the courthouse, um, they were looking for someone to try one of these by Zoom. And they figured it'd be a perfect way to try a jury trial by Zoom because the summary jury trials are non-binding. And so we were selected about three weeks ago in order to do it on May 18th, and that's how it all came about. So did you have a choice, or was it just just saying you're doing it? I would say we were voluntold. Okay. You know, we might have been able to object to it, but when the idea came up uh, and our case was selected, I actually thought it would be a good thing to do. So I was uh, a little scared about it, but also excited to to do it, knowing that it was a non-binding procedure. Now that had to make it uh, a little easier uh, as far as the stress level of, you know, if it all went wrong, at least you still have your, your right to a real trial later. Exactly. So you said you had like an hour and a half per side. Do you actually present evidence? Do you just summarize what the evidence is? Is there a testimony? I've never done one of these, so I'm kind of curious how it works. There aren't any rules. It's an interesting process. So when we were talking about just the summary jury trial with Judge Dean beforehand, and this was before we were even ordered to do it by Zoom, you know, he said, you, each side has an hour and a half, and you can put on your case any way you want to. You can call live witnesses. You can do it as kind of a uh, extended closing argument, whatever you want. Each side gets an hour and a half, and the other side can't object. So you can do just about anything you want. And then as the plaintiff, you know, I decided I wanted to do an hour and 20 minutes and save 10 minutes for rebuttal. But uh, I put on my case for the hour and 20 minutes. The defense puts on theirs for an hour and a half. I get my 10 minutes and then you have a verdict form for the jury to answer. It's not the same as a typical uh, verdict form that you would give in a trial, but it, but it's similar just in a abbreviated format, hoping that they will uh, deliberate and get you an answer uh, quicker. So when he, we were ordered to do this by Zoom, I started thinking, okay, how do I want to present this? And I just decided from my perspective, I want to try it like a, I would for a, a regular jury trial. So I did a, about a 10-minute opening with a PowerPoint. I then called my clients to testify. And then I called my key expert to testify for about 30 to 40 minutes. And then by the time that was all done, I had saved about 10 minutes for rebuttal, which I used as a rebuttal slash closing argument. So that's how I put on my case. The defense lawyer on the other side, she did it more like a extended closing where she uh, had a PowerPoint put together and she spoke for her hour and a half, but she would weave in some deposition testimony, some exhibits uh, that had been, or some discovery that had been exchanged between the parties. So that's how the case was presented to the jury. Have you done other summary jury trials before? Nope, this was my first time. Well, you've done one more than I have. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Looking back, I mean, do you, do you think there was an advantage over one approach, which years of actually putting on witnesses versus the defense approach, which is doing, I guess, what they call a big opening or closing opening together where you're arguing, you're presenting evidence, you're, you know, but you're not doing the question and answer thing? Well, you know, and I thought about that a lot. And I think if I was asked to do this again or had the opportunity to, to do it again, I would do it the same way I did it. I might modify things a little bit. But uh, 
you know, the whole idea of doing a summary jury trial is to get the evidence in front of the jury and get some real world feedback about the strengths and weaknesses of your case. And so, you know, you hope that you get the feedback and the, the verdict that helps get your case settled and maximizes the recovery for your client. But if the, if the case doesn't resolve, you know, you have some feedback kind of like you would do for a mock jury that you can help hone your case, uh, your witnesses, your presentation of evidence so that when you do go to trial, hopefully you have an even tighter and better and stronger case. Yeah, as much as I like to control everything and I think that I would present well, I, I would think that from a credibility standpoint, having someone other than the lawyer speaking would be more persuasive uh, just because we walk into a courtroom with so little trust and credibility uh, at the start as opposed to you know, a, a client who may have a little bit more, you know, just I think just hearing from witnesses would probably help. Although I don't know. I've never done it. But that would be my thought. Well, and so the good part about this too is, you know, once you get a, the result back from the jury, you have an opportunity to ask them questions. And so the thing that I wanted to know and I asked is, you know, what did you think about my client? I put on my expert. Could you follow my expert's testimony? Was he credible to you? Uh, so those are the type of things that, you know, you want to know when you go to trial. And so that's where I think if you just do a closing argument and, you know, you present the evidence and it may not actually be admissible evidence, but you present the case and you think the ultimate best way it is, I don't think you're getting good feedback about, you know, what it, what a jury might decide if and when you go to trial. Yeah, it's really something we probably ought to be doing more, maybe not with the other side there in the summary jury trial, although that's an interesting idea, but in our focus groups, you know, we do so many focus groups where we work on our themes, we work on the facts, we work on the lawyer presentations, and we frankly we don't go put our uh, we don't go put our clients through this, and so we don't get the feedback on the witnesses. But the vast majority of the trials, the witnesses talking, not us. Uh, I think that there's some real value in doing what you did. No, I agree. You know, I wanted to know, you know, what did the jury think about my client as a business owner? You know, did he seem sympathetic and credible? And for the key expert, you know, I wanted to know what they thought about A, his opinions and B, his credibility. So that part was more than anything valuable feedback I got from the process. So how did jury, y'all, did you actually do jury selection? We did. Uh, it, it was not a typical jury selection. Uh, had this not been by Zoom, the way that uh, Collin County does their summary jury trials is your mediator selects the jury. And all he or she tries to do is get out the fringe jurors on both sides, the ultimate tort reformers on one side, and in my case, the insurance haters on the other side. And that's the way we were told it was going to happen. But the Friday before the Zoom trial, we found out that uh, A, we were the guinea pig, and B, that there was some publicity about this, and they really wanted to see how it would work out. So the judge said, I'm going to give each side 15 minutes to do a voir dire. So we found that out about 4.30 on Friday in preparation for the Monday Zoom. So we had, you know, it was somewhat similar to a jury selection, but in a much more limited format. Each side only had 15 minutes. Um, and then when we were done, we didn't exercise any uh, peremptory strikes. 
Uh, instead, we just had a conversation with our mediator and said, hey, who do we agree? Or is there anyone on this group of 12 that is extreme, either one side or the other, and we would agree to dismiss them? If not, we would separate them into two groups of six, and then we would start the actual process. So in a normal jury selection, there's different schools of, of how to conduct more dire there's the people that, you know, I'm trying to exclude people for cause. There's people trying to do a more inclusionary and form a group. Where do you fall on that spectrum, the way you do jury selection? The way I would typically do it is I'm looking for the worst people. So okay. I always say if I walk out of jury selection at the end of the day thinking nobody likes me, nobody likes my client, and I need to call my mom to find out that someone truly does love me, and I've done my job. You know, I want to hear all the negative stuff. So did this change the way that you, you know, not just 15 minutes, but the fact that you're doing it over Zoom, did it change the way you did jury selection? It did in a sense. What's interesting, there was a little bit of a confusion when we talked about, you know, we were going to get 15 minutes. So we originally had a panel of 28 people, and we were supposed to pick two juries of six people out of that. And when we started it, and on Zoom, uh, the judge says, well, do we want to ask all 28 people at the same time? And you can imagine on a, on a, even on a big screen, looking at 28 people at one time is impossible. Yeah. So we decided to split it up 14 and 14. And what I understood, and even the defense lawyer understood, is that we would pick uh, a jury out of the first 14 and then a second jury out of the second 14. So going into it, thinking that, I, I decided, you know, I'm going to experiment again. And I thought with the first group, I'm going to ask more general questions followed by specifics. And in the second group, I was intending to just go down the line one by one and really pinpoint, ask direct questions going down the line. But once we got done with the first group of 12, the judge says, well, I think we can get, you know, the two juries out of the 12. And so that was it. So I had a I had a strategy, but I really didn't get to implement it because of the way the process worked out. How do you, yeah, you know, so how do you get people to like raise their hand or identify if they if, if you're asking kind of general questions to the group when you're doing a Zoom board hire? You do it just like you were in the courtroom. So, you know, you can imagine the way the screen was set up with uh, that first group was actually 12. So you could see the way that they had set up. Most of them were working off of a laptop or an iPad, so you had pretty good visual of them. A couple people were working off their phone. But I would literally do say, okay, you know, I'm speaking to you as a group. I, I think I said it's kind of like uh, the Brady Bunch on steroids, and it kind of was, but you had the whole group that you talked to, and I literally asked them, hey, will you raise your hand if um, this applies to you and people would raise their hand and then I would follow up with specific questions. Again, it was 15 minutes, so you didn't get into too much detail. Right. You know, in the future, I would do that same, you know, I would do it the same way. I think you need to split it up and no more than 12 people at a time and go through that process, asking them to raise hands and then follow up with individual questions. Did you have any concerns over, you know, limiting who could be in the jury pool based on access to technology. We did. And I think that's why one thing I would say, doing this for a summary jury trial by Zoom where it's non-binding, hey, it was a great experience and I'd do it again. If you're asking me to uh, put this case 
the entire case in front of a jury trial by Zoom and have it be binding. That's my biggest concern, is that you're not going to get a representative sample of the community because there are folks that don't have iPads, computers, and may not have, you know, the type of internet speed that you need to participate by Zoom. Although I guess it wouldn't, at least for the six or 12 that would actually serve on the jury, that wouldn't necessarily be cost prohibitive because you can, you know, I know one thing we've done for clients because not all of our clients have good internet connectivity. Uh, and then we found clients trying to like appear at a depot by on their cell phone, which is not a good idea. It's just, you know, buying like a tablet that has a, the built-in cellular internet connection and a little stand for it and sending it to them. I mean, for a couple, two, $3,000, you could probably get enough of those for the jury pool if you needed them. Yeah. You know, it gets, it's just, how do you, how do you get people to respond? I guess they're in some yeah. ways, look at how you get them to come to the courthouse. But for this particular group, um, they didn't come to the courthouse. You know, they right. were connected through their juror information cards, but they did have to, I guess, respond. I believe I wasn't part of this, but I understand from talking to the judge after the fact, there were certain criteria that they had to meet in order to participate in this. And I would be concerned that there are certain people that we would typically like to see on juries, or at least be part of the process that might be excluded. So did you present your case differently thinking about the fact that you're going to be on a video screen instead of in a live courtroom. I didn't. Um, that's one of the things I was really trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I just decided, you know, I'm going to go about this like it was a regular trial. So for my opening, I typically use a PowerPoint to walk through kind of come some of the key things, talk about the burden of proof. Um, and so I prepared a PowerPoint, I shared my screen and I did an opening statement that way. Uh, when we got to my client, there was a few key pieces of evidence that I wanted to walk him through. And so again, I shared my screen and I used um, software called Trial Director. And so uh -huh. um, I utilized, utilized Trial Director from my laptop and would present that sharing my screen for the client to see and he could see him and I'd blow it up or I'd write a section. And so that worked. And then, you know, what I typically do with experts is I'll, I'll work with them um, preparing a PowerPoint of some key uh, documents from their file or photographs, and we'll put together a kind of a PowerPoint presentation. And we did that. And so I presented my expert using his testimony on background, and then we played a PowerPoint and shared the screen for that. So it's a lot like I would do in a regular trial. Okay, yeah, because I was like, you know, in a regular jury trial, I'm actually going away from as much PowerPoint, like switching in my opening, because I want to, you know, create the human interaction, human relationship, and do more writing, drawing, uh, whereas that wouldn't really work on Zoom. I think the PowerPoint would be a lot more necessary uh, to be able to effectively communicate information. And I also think that, you know, just one advantage I can think of in, in Zoom is you, you know what everyone's looking at. I mean, there's only one thing for them to see, and you control that as opposed to, are they looking at the defendant's facial reactions? Are they, you know, where are they looking in the courtroom as opposed to, or, you know, you can make sure that the, the exhibit you see is the only thing to see. Right. And, you know, you, you talk about uh, in opening uh, wanting to be more interactive in writing. That's one thing that my expert was able to do. He actually had a digital pen, and so 
You know, wow. he drove a couple lines. Now, granted, it was pretty basic uh, stuff, but he did circle some things. He did blow up some pictures. He did, you know, write some arrows on pictures. So there is a way to continue to do that even on Zoom. Yeah, I just think the more, you know, I, I think just looking at a video of a talking head for hours on end, especially if you're doing a full-on jury trial in like just an hour and a half, could get really old. I think that having to mix it up, you know, having some talking head, having a screen, having things happen to the screen, you know, different exhibits, different things, I think that could really help keep people engaged. Yeah, I agree. How was your experience with juror engagement, the level of engagement you think they had, and then how would that compare to the level of engagement you think you have in a courtroom where, frankly, people drift off and daydream all the time? That was the hardest thing to gauge during the process. Now, granted, this was only a summary jury trial, so they listened to about you know, a total of three hours. And we did, a, we did a lunch break in between my presentation and the opposing counsel's presentation. But because, you know, when I was presenting my case uh, and sp specifically talking to or eliciting testimony from my client or the expert, I was focusing more on them and on the screen. You know, there's only so much that you can do on one screen. You can't share your screen, look at your expert or witness, and then also monitor the jury out of the corner of your eye. There's just not that much bandwidth on, right. on, on a laptop or one screen. So that was hard to do during the course of the, the trial itself. Uh, we certainly asked them afterwards about their engagement, and it seemed like it was pretty good. But that's one of the things I said afterwards, you know, how would I have done this differently? And I, one of the things I would have, Kind of, I would have had multiple screens, and I would have tried to figure out how you could have the static picture of the jurors, all 12 of them, on one screen, so you could kind of, out of the peripheral of your eye, see what they're doing, are they engaged, kind of like you do in the courtroom. But having it all on one screen, it's just too much. Too yeah, much. You, you can't really make eye contact with people on Zoom. Did you do anything to think about you know, making it look like you had eye contact or... You know, when you were talking to the jurors during jury selection, you know, I did like the best that I could, you know, looking right into the camera and talking directly to them to try and mimic, you know, direct contact. And it seemed like the way they were looking back, there is some level of contact. It's not the same as in person, but it was better than I expected. Okay. How about any, you know, kind of, Gestures or nonverbals or anything that you were able to incorporate with a Zoom to avoid just being a talking head, or did you feel too constrained? I did a little bit about that, but again, that's one of those things after the fact. I think that uh, I could definitely do better. Uh, you know, maybe have a wider camera angle so you can see more of your body. Maybe even stand up and get out of your chair and move around a little bit. Uh, my expert, I thought, did a real good job. I really was focusing on looking at him as well as his computer screen, and he was really animated uh, in a good way, and I think that helped his uh, testimony. Yeah, I know I've been working with Sari Delamotte, and she's watched some of my stuff on video, and she's told me that I need to be more animated and, and make an effort to use, and which I'm absolutely failing on in this podcast, by the way, but luckily it's audio. But, you know, I need to really be working on it more because you just, it's so easy just to 
kind of fade out when it's nothing but a talking head in front of you. And I know that I do so many Zoom meetings every day. And, you know, I was a huge Zoom evangelist when this was all starting. And I'm thankful for it because it's kept my practice going. But I'm getting Zoom fatigue. I mean, I've just done so many of these meetings. I actually talked to like Sonia Rodriguez or Mallory Peacock, my partners, and just say, can we just talk on the phone? <laughs> just, yeah, you know, I know what you mean. Yeah. Zoom is great and it's helped. But uh, when you do two or three Zoom meetings a day, you get tired of it. Yeah. Each year, the law firm of Callen Rodriguez Peacock pays millions of dollars in co-counsel fees to attorneys nationwide on trucking and company vehicle cases. If you have a case involving death or catastrophic injuries and would like to partner with our firm, please contact us. We have experience finding potential defendants that other firms miss, and we've added millions of dollars to cases by finding these sources of recovery. If you have a catastrophic injury or death case where the policy limits appear to be insufficient, give us a call. If we can find another defendant, we can partner on the case. And if we can't, then we won't ask for any of the fees. You can reach Delisi Friday by calling 210-941-1301 or send an email to podcast at triallawyernation.com. She will coordinate a time for Michael Cowan to speak with you in person or by phone to discuss the case in detail. And now, back to the show. Now, I guess one of the goals, at least I have in, in trials, is to try to you know form the jurors into a group. And then in a regular trial, they have all the, you know, people start having lunch together, the, the breaks, they, they, they form relationships. And I guess that doesn't happen in a Zoom trial. No, the jurors were all participating from someplace in their home. Uh, there was one guy that even started like in outside on his back porch. The judge did suggest that he move inside because he was picking up some background noise from birds and cars that pass by, but yeah, you can't, and again, this was a, you know, such a limited format, but it would be really hard to form any relationship amongst the jurors on say a week long trial because they're all participating from the confines of their home. And when they take lunch, they're doing it by themselves. And when the day's over, they just turn off their computer. What difference do you think that might make? You know, I hadn't really thought about that. You know, I do. It is an interesting thing to watch during the course of the trial, how some friendships develop and some um, uh, people that uh, will spend time together. I don't know. I really don't know what to say about that. If, if we have to start doing this by Zoom, because I don't know how you could form any sort of relationship or build a consensus among jurors, because it would technically it would be improper if they got connected by phone after the end of the day. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, I just wonder what what difference that may or may not make. You know, how much of all this group formation and group dynamics is just consultants selling us their spiel and how much of it is really important for decision making. It's uh, just interesting because we never know. I mean, we, we study this stuff, we parrot it back. How much of it really makes a difference? You know, I. I've noticed that, you know, focus groups that get an hour and a half presentations seem to have fairly similar uh, outcomes, not necessarily the same number, but thought processes and the same issues and same things being important as jurors that hear a two-week trial. So I sometimes wonder how much of what we do is kind of irrelevant. Yeah. You know, that's a good question. You know, afterwards, we did talk to the jury. The way it worked, when they deliberated, the judge set them up in two virtual Zoom rooms, and they deliberated the case. 
the exhibits were then uh, sent to them uh, by link. Uh, I just have a feeling based on how quickly they returned the verdict, both of the juries came back within 30 minutes. And I just have a hard time believing um, that they reviewed any of these substantive exhibits, but they clearly did have a group discussion and both of them reached, they were told they could reach a five to one uh, verdict, but it was unanimous for both of them. And are you allowed to tell us what the results were? We can't tell you what the results were because it is part of the ADR process. Okay. Uh, we tell you that both of them did reach verdicts. And uh, do you get any feedback from the juries, the jurors that you thought was interesting as far as the, let's start with the process. Yeah, we did get some good feedback. Uh, it was interesting. From my perspective, the questions I was asking, I wanted to know about the substantive issues. Uh, credibility of the witnesses. Did you, could you understand the testimony? Could you follow it? What did you think about this particular evidence? But the judges were also involved in questioning the jurors. And so their questions were more focused on um, the process itself and the ability, the technology. And so it was good to get the feedback um, in response to both the judges' questions as well as the lawyers' questions. And I felt that we really did get good feedback from everyone. Everyone seemed very interested in sharing their experience and uh, their opinions, and that was valuable. Is your case still ongoing, or was it able to get resolved at some point after this? It's still ongoing right now. Okay. Uh, to the extent that you feel comfortable sharing it on the, something where your opponent may listen to this uh, before your, your binding trial, uh, anything useful you learned about you know your case and your witnesses from the this process? You know, I think the biggest thing that I got out of it is the the fact that jurors felt that they could assess the credibility of witnesses by Zoom and were impacted by their testimony. Um, my expert is based out of Minneapolis, so. I'm starting to think now after Zoom, when we get back to normal, is there still a possibility to call some of these witnesses by Zoom just to save on expenses? Yeah. Had in the actual summary jury trial in Collin County, I would have had him travel from Minnesota to testify live. But hearing the feedback of the jury where they felt they could follow his testimony, they could assess his credibility, um, maybe, you know, some of these witnesses can appear by Zoom in the future, and we can save some money on that. That would be nice, because we litigate, trials are so expensive, and then the scheduling, especially when, you know, the previous day doesn't go as you expected, so you need the witness there a day later or a day earlier, uh, the logistics of trial, and you end up paying an expert to sit around for two or three days because you weren't sure exactly what day you'd need that person. Right. And, you know, I have uh, an expert that I use in some cases that spends half of his time in Europe. And if it happens to be a case gets called to trial while he's in Europe, I've got to pay for him to fly back. And just the cost alone, I mean, that can be anywhere from seven to $10,000. And if I can save that and present him by Zoom, it's a big cost savings for me and ultimately for the client. Was your case purely an economic damages case or was there any kind of non-economic component? No, it's all economics. Do you think the the juror's ability 
to assess, I guess, harm uh, would be any different over Zoom as it was a case where we're looking at mental anguish, pain, impairment, that kind of thing? I think nothing substitutes for being live, but I do think that you can get that message across and that emotion across by Zoom. You just have to work at it. I think you've got to be able to pull it out of your client just like you do sometimes in the courtroom. And then I think you probably will have to set up a camera angle for wherever they are so you can see more of their body and some of the animation or the anguish that they see or that, they, you know, the reliving the, the incident has to be able to come across on video. You know, because I was thinking about this a lot. My first thought was like, no, they, you know, people aren't going to get this by Zoom with was a personal injury case. But then I've really been thinking people are a lot more moved by 30-minute television shows or even like small news segments within a television show than, frankly, they are by most trials, um, which go on for much longer. But just because of the, the, the trial process, I'm wondering if we worked with people that know how to present stories visually through this film medium or television medium if we could come up with a better way to do the you know the visual storytelling and get these emotional points across again i think it's doable but you just have to work at it you know it, it may come down to uh, making sure your client is comfortable and again having the right camera angle and making sure yeah. that they have good video and sound quality it's like we're moving from from it's like we're going to need like a different set of consultants because we're moving from like putting on a live play to putting on a, a live television show. We're, you know, and it's uh, like between the difference between doing stand up on stage and doing Saturday Night Live. You know, it's both have a live audience, but it's a different uh, a different live audience when it's a video one versus a in person one. So, here's a question for you: Would you consider doing a Zoom trial? if it was binding? You know, that's a tougher question. I'm not sure I'm ready to commit to that. You know, this was an experiment that we did for a day. And during the course of the day, we didn't have any te technical difficulties. There wasn't any interruptions in the jurors' homes. They had all been told, you know, make sure you're in a quiet place. And so they'd either had their family go away or they were in a separate part of their house. So there weren't any kids that ran in, there weren't any phones that rang, there weren't any dogs that were barking. And that was great for a day. My concern would be, can you mimic that or can you replicate that for an entire week or two weeks? Yeah. That's difficult. I think the other thing that is difficult too is can the jury realistically go through the evidence in the case and, you know, then make a decision based on the evidence? You know, we, we introduced some exhibits. It was very streamlined. I think I had four exhibits of 10 pages. Had this case gone to trial, you know, probably would have had 30 exhibits and a couple thousand pages. I don't know how you could realistically go through that, uh, if it was a full bone trial. Now, granted, there are some juries that get the evidence back there and they don't go through it either. But my concern is that they would hardly look at anything just because of the complicated nature of it. Or maybe having to, you know, 
to the extent possible, pre-mark, pre-admit evidence and send them an opal features. I'm just trying to think of solutions to these issues. Right. Uh, but even then, it's hard because in a jury room, they have one set of exhibits and they can show things to each other and point out. And I guess you can do that from a share screen, but finding things and having the technological, uh, the ease of the technology and the to be able to know how to find it in the in the PDF, know how to share the screen, know how to highlight something so that people can see it. You can't expect a jury to get that necessarily. Yeah. And, you know, they floated the idea of sending the exhibits to the jury beforehand. Uh-huh. I was against that, and ultimately we agreed not to do that because you don't want the jury fumbling through exhibits you know, virtually while you're trying to put on evidence, just like you don't want, for the most part, them looking at exhibits in the jury box when you have testifying. So if you had to do another one of these, would you do anything differently? I think I would present the case the same way. I would still do it like it was a trial. Uh, I would, again, I would probably, the technology I would do differently. Having to do everything myself from my own computer was really difficult. So, you know, I ran the PowerPoints, I ran trial director, and that was difficult. I think what I would do, my setup would be different. I would have multiple screens. I would try and figure out how to have the jury all on one screen. I would have my paralegal zoom in and have her control the documents just like I would in trial and say, you know, hey, pull up exhibit two. Let's highlight uh, the second paragraph. I did all of that myself during this summary jury trial, and it was it was exhausting. Uh, so the technical aspects of it, I would change, uh, but how I presented the case with the opening, putting on witnesses, and a modified closing, I think I would do that the same because I think you're more likely to get valuable feedback from a jury when you present a case and how you would to a full blown trial as opposed to just giving them a a show by a you know, extended closing argument. Yeah. Uh, one thing I've been thinking about is, you know, all of us are uncomfortable doing a binding actual trial trial uh, by Zoom. And in fact, I keep saying like, I'd like to go try someone else's case by Zoom for them, but not one of my, uh, just so I can have the experience without having to risk one of my babies. But at some point, you know, we don't know how long this is going to go on. We don't know, you know, my prayer is that, you know, by the fall, things don't start getting back to normal, we'll start having trials again, but we might not. We have no idea. Uh, so my thing I've been struggling with is how, how long of a delay would it take for me to start pushing to do a Zoom trial? I mean, my thought is, can I go the rest of the year without a trial? Probably. But my, I don't know about you, but my big, big cases don't resolve unless we're about to try them. Uh, they just they don't come to the table until they have the that fear that this is really going to happen. Until then, it's all game playing and lowball offers. Have you thought about how long you you would be willing to wait for real trials to come back before you'd consider doing a binding trial by Zoom? You know that's a good question. I don't think I have an answer yet. I think the Supreme Court just issued an order either last night or this morning, or now there's no in or live trials at least until August 1st, I think. Yeah, in Texas, that's correct. Yeah, and so, um, you know, I don't know. I think I'd probably have to wait and see, you know, how things transpire through 2020. If if this does go into 2021, I think I would probably have to seriously consider it. But 
I think we can go several more months before you're forced into having to make that decision. Yeah, that's where I'm leaning towards too. Uh, now, I'm a member of a Facebook group that Sardell Mod has called From Hostage to Hero. Uh, and you agreed to let her critique and go through your voir dire on this Zoom trial in front of other lawyers from around the country that you don't know. One, kudos to you for having the guts to do that because to put yourself out there like that, uh, I mean, it was very valuable for everybody that got to see it, but that's got to be, you know, nerve wracking to, to have someone else uh, coach you publicly on something you did. But what was that experience like for you? Uh, it was good. You know, I have worked with a jury consultant uh, for probably 10 years on almost every big case that I've had. So I feel like, you know, I've learned a lot and been coached a lot. Different style than Sari had, but, uh, you know, the feedback that she gave me during that um, webinar was, was really good. I was taking notes and I got back afterwards and I, you know, added some things in my computers. So if uh, the case, this case or another case goes to trial, she gave me some good tips and I would probably implement. Yeah, she's, she's brilliant. Uh, do you have any consultants you found to be the most useful or that you've learned the most from as far as crime cases? You're talking about any, any, any kind, any kind of consultant. You know, to me, it's, uh, I started using a jury consultant, I think, for the first time maybe 10 years ago. And I think uh, what she has done for me has been invaluable. And I'm kind of of the opinion that if you have any big case, if you don't work with a jury consultant, you're committing malpractice. Selecting a jury is too important. And to think that, you know, you as a lawyer have all the answers. Um, I think is foolish, and I think you just need to work with a good jury consultant. I think they're good, and I think also the practice they make you do, going through you know, the discipline of having to do that makes a huge difference, too. Right. If anyone wants to, to find you, uh, either because they want to you know, try to reach out to you to ask about this, or maybe because they have a property damage first-party case that they want to get help with, what's the best way to find you? Well, we have a website. My firm has a website. It's uh, PearsonLegalPC.com, and that's P-E-A-R-S-O-N, LegalPC.com, or they can send me an email, and it's mpearson at PearsonLegalPC.com. And we'll have all that, uh, all your contact information in the show notes. Matthew, thank you so much uh, for coming on the show. I really appreciate your feedback and, and appreciate your guts and being the first one to go into this brave new world. Well, thank you for having me on your show, Michael. I appreciate it. I've listened to a number of your podcasts, so I was excited to get the invitation earlier this week. And like I said, it was a good experience. The fact that it was non-binding uh, made it all the more better. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining us on Trial Lawyer Nation. I hope you enjoyed our show. If you'd like to receive updates, insider information, and more from Trial Lawyer Nation, sign up for our mailing list at triallawyernation.com. You can also visit our episodes page on the website for show notes and direct links to any resources in this or any past episode. To help more attorneys find our podcast, please like, share, and subscribe to our podcast on any of our social media outlets. 
If you'd like access to exclusive plaintiff lawyer only content and live monthly discussions with me, send a request to join the Trial Lawyer Nation Insider Circle Facebook group. Thanks again for tuning in. I look forward to having you with us next time on Trial Lawyer Nation. Each year, the law firm of Cowan Rodriguez Peacock pays millions of dollars in co-counsel fees to attorneys nationwide on trucking and company vehicle cases. If you have a case involving death or catastrophic injuries and would like to partner with our firm, please contact us. We have experience finding potential defendants that other firms miss, and we've added millions of dollars to cases by finding these sources of recovery. If you have a catastrophic injury or death case where the policy limits appear to be insufficient, give us a call. If we can find another defendant, we can partner on the case. And if we can't, then we won't ask for any of the fees. You can reach Delisi Friday by calling 210-941-1301 or send an email to podcast at triallawyernation.com. She will coordinate a time for Michael Cowan to speak with you in person or by phone to discuss the case in detail. This podcast has been hosted by Michael Cowan and is not intended to, nor does it create the attorney-client privilege between our hosts, guests, or contributors, and any listener for any reason. Content from the podcast is not to be interpreted as legal advice. All thoughts and opinions expressed herein are only those from which they came.